Welcome to a special edition of Behind the Mic with Audiophile Magazine. I'm Joe Reed. Dion Graham's narration of Nick Stone's latest book, Clean Getaway, came out recently to rave reviews. This novel, written for middle schoolers, is about a road trip that 11-year-old Scoob takes with his grandmother. It's part family story, it's part history lesson, and it is completely wonderful. Well, last year we were lucky enough to speak with Nick Stone and Dion Graham about their first collaboration, a YA title called Dear Martin. And we thought this was a perfect time to revisit Nick and Dion. Enjoy. Dear Martin, a.k.a. Dr. King, first and foremost, please know I mean you no disrespect with the whole Martin thing. I studied you and your teachings for a project in 10th grade, so... It feels most natural to interact with you as a homie. Hope you don't mind that. Quick intro. My name is Justice McAllister. I'm a 17-year-old high school senior and full scholarship student at Brazelton Preparatory Academy in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm ranked fourth in my graduating class of 83. I'm the captain of the debate team. I scored a 1560 and a 34 on my SATs and ACTs, respectively. And despite growing up in a bad area, not too far from your old stomping grounds, I have a future ahead of me that will likely include an Ivy League education, an eventual law degree, and a career in public policy. Sadly, during the wee hours of this morning, literally none of that mattered. That's actor Dion Graham narrating Dear Martin, a young adult novel written by Nick Stone. Dear Martin is Nick's first novel, and it is ambitious. While told from the perspective of one teenage boy, Justice McAllister, The book contains a number of characters, from teenagers to teachers to police officers to parents, who are also given distinct voices. And the book is written in a multitude of styles that actually highlights the diversity of voices. From the diary entries we just heard, to straight-up exposition, to newspaper articles, high school debates, classroom discussions told entirely in dialogue, even some rap. In the hands of veteran actor Dion Graham, Dear Martin has the perfect narrator. Dion takes Justice and his schoolmates on a complex journey, filled with adolescent angst, teenage joy, bewilderment, anger, and sheer grief, as they come to grips with who they are and how society sees them in the 21st century. I recently spoke with Dion Graham and Nick Stone about Dear Martin. And I began by asking Nick to tell me a bit more about the plot of the book. The book follows a 17-year-old African-American boy named Justice McAllister, who, after a traumatic experience with racial profiling, he's profiled by a police officer one night while honestly trying to help his ex-girlfriend get home after she's had too much to drink. Um, The police officer assumes that when he's putting her in the car that he's trying to steal her car and arrest him on the spot without giving him even the briefest moment to explain himself. As a response to this incident, Justice decides to start this journal of letters written to the late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., really to explore Dr. King's teachings in light of of what he's experiencing here in the 21st century. That's where the title comes from. It comes from these letters that Justice writes as he tries to apply Dr. King's teachings to his life here in 2017. When you were writing the book, did you ever think it might be an audiobook? Did that sort of enter the consciousness? I 
hoped so. I mean, I, I definitely loved listening to audiobooks. I have two little boys. I've got a five-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old, and we spend a lot of time in the car. So we do a lot of audiobooking. And it, of course, it crossed my mind that it was a possibility. But when I when I heard that it was really going to be a thing, I, I got very, very excited. Dion, you are an, a multi-award winning actor who does many different types of audiobooks. How did you choose Dear Martin to perform? Actually, the good folks at Penguin Random House actually asked me to do it, producer Kelly Gilday. And I had heard a little bit, a little bit about the book, but I, I wasn't really familiar with it yet. So it came to me through them, and um, I'm really glad they asked me to do it. And what were your thoughts as you read through it that first time, if you can remember? I didn't know much about the book. And it's funny because I kind of took my cue from the title, Nick, and it made me think, okay, so this kid's writing letters to Martin Luther King. What's going on here? But as I read through the book and took in what is happening for this young person, and actually all the young people in the book, and the incident and the sort of disorientedness of where he was, it really had a huge impact because it just, it, for one, it reminded me of being an adolescent, being a teenager. Two, it, I could relate to it easily as a black person of any age. But I was really struck and really kind of cracked open about the sort of vitality, the openness of being a young person with all kinds of ideas, floating around and, and not knowing who you are and trying to find out who you are and, and uh, find your place in the world while the world is interacting uh, with you and sometimes acting on you, as the world certainly is uh, for justice in this book. So all kinds of things, all kinds of things. I want to talk about tone because it's a YA title that tackles rough and pertinent issues that there is as current as tomorrow's news, but it's also a YA title. It's not the Sermon on the Mount. So, Nick, tell me how you approach that. You walk that line that would appeal to younger readers, but at the same time still speak to the larger issues that you want to tackle. Yeah, well, I've, I've been involved in teen mentoring for a long time, honestly, since I still was a teenager. When I was 19, I was mentoring. I had a group of six high school seniors. So, like, I'm only two years older than them, and I'm, you know, trying to teach them how to live, which was actually kind of hilarious when you think about it. But something that I constantly heard and still hear from the teens I interact with now is that they don't feel like anybody's listening to them. Mm. And, and considering the, the ages of a lot of the young men who have been gunned down over the past five years, my desire to write this book was triggered by the death of Jordan Davis, who was 17 when he was killed in, in Florida. I knew that I needed to approach this from the perspective of, of a young person who hasn't even figured himself out yet and yet has all of these things just in society that he has to deal with. You know, like I, I think that I, I felt that it was important for me to examine not only the angst of adolescence, but the angst of adolescence on top of or on, honestly beneath this extra layer of, of baggage that black boys have to deal with. And I really wanted to keep it as real as possible, number one, because honestly, teenagers are a lot more astute than we give them credit for. I definitely wanted to make sure that I was telling it like it is and putting it out there the way that, that it should be. Because honestly, if a teenager had written this, I think it would have been maybe even a little bit more raw than it is now. <laughs> If I can add to, uh, to what Nick is saying here. Please. 
one of the fantastic aspects of this book is that she has captured or, or reflected so many different aspects of teenagedom from so many different points of view with kids who are not exactly the same, kids from different backgrounds. I, I also work with a lot of young people, certainly kids of color, but kids from all kinds of backgrounds. And I was really struck by just what you captured, Nick, and the, the conversations between them. And I agree. I think that, you know, maybe if a teenager wrote it, maybe it would have been even a little mo bit more raw. But I, I really appreciated the honest way that you dealt with it. And I, I tried to also um, reflect that in the telling of the story and allowing certain dynamics that are present <laughs> with teenagers that we think, oh, oh no, maybe we, maybe we wouldn't want to have that in there as adults. But I think, I think it's just true, to, it's just true to, the, to the tale you were telling. So. Well, I think you nailed it, just saying. Yeah, I think you did, too, because apart from the multitude of voices and styles that the book contains, the narrator might be in the third person, but it's in a lot of ways filtered through the eyes of Justice, a 17-year-old kid. So, Dion, I'm curious about how you sort of deal with that narrative voice of authority and still sound like young. <laughs> um, thank you, Joe. That's a great question, too. Well, you know... In all of my work, and certainly in my narration, I just always, the number one thing I try to do is I really just try to be open and sensitive to the book and what the author and what the book is telling me about how the story wants to be told. So that's number one. And it's not always the same. In fact, it's never the same. <laughs> it's always different. But in this instance, well, in all instances, but particularly in this instance, I, I think it was really important, was just to to locate the humans in this story. Because without doing that, not Nick's wonderful writing, but the telling of the story could easily become a kind of, oh, cliched or, or just archetypal story in which we would be way ahead of everything that's happening and think that we know everything, so why do we really need to tune into the story? Like a morality tale. Exactly, exactly. And I think that in locating these, these very real and very sensitive young people and allowing them to live where they are and, and hopefully reveal them in all their complexity and simpleness and uh, hilariousness and also pain in terms of trying to grow up and find out who they are. I, I think that was a, the way to go, I think, uh, in terms of, of just bringing it to life in a way that was, was rich and, and dynamic. Dion, did you reach out to Nick before you narrated the book? I did, actually. Fortunately, Kelly facilitated that for us, Kelly Gilday our producer, and that I'm really thankful that we were able to have a chance to talk ahead of time. I, I always find it useful to talk to um, the author a little bit, have a little chat. It's not always lengthy or extensive, but I always find out something that I might not have known, which really, really informs the storytelling. It was great. I think we can say from the get-go, Nick, we were in synchronicity. <laughs> so. Oh, yes, absolutely. And I appreciated it, too. You know, there's something very nice about the person who's going to narrate this thing that I've like poured my essence into actually wanting to ask me questions about it like that was that was it made the whole audiobook experience so valuable to me and then of course like I said before he nailed it so it's been a very fulfilling first experience I will say I would just back that up yes it's been great it's been great okay not to put you on the spot or anything but do you remember what your questions were for Nick oh wow let me think about that. Uh, I remember one of them. Oh, please, go ahead. 
So there's a a fictional rapper actually in the book, oh, Deuce, Deuce Diggs. Diggs. Yeah. And one of Dion's questions was, how did he sound to me? In my mind, I had him with this very kind of Kendrick Lamar vibe, but I told him to just go with it. I was like, do what you feel. You're, you're the, this is your area of expertise. And what Dion wound up doing with him on the audiobook was completely different from the way that I was hearing it. And I loved it, which says a lot about the space that the narrator needs, honestly, to kind of interpret things the way that they need to. And what I learned from that part of the process, I really discovered that, that these are very separate works of art. Like, they're very different forms of narrative. And it's like, you know that if you listen to audiobooks, but having written a book and then hearing that book brought to life... I can't even tell you, like, I can't read the book, which is interesting because when I I get through like page three and I want to change 50 things, but listening to the audio book, I was able to just listen and to like take it in from kind of an, an objective standpoint. And it's largely because Dion's voice is so different from mine. So it was awesome. And that was actually probably my favorite question oh, that's, that you asked I me, forgot Dion. about that, but there are a couple things to say. One, I think what Nick has just said is really true and really important. You know, look, the book is a great work of art. And man, Nick, on your first book, kudos. But that stands alone. But, you know, as soon as we bring it into another realm, into audio, where you bring in another artist who's working on it, you know, it immediately becomes a collaboration, all in service of the book. So it's great. So, you know, of course, Nick wrote it. So, of course, there are things that I think she might know or... Even if we, if I'd asked her a question and Nick didn't necessarily know the answer, it was one that was good to think about. I always also like to ask, what would you like listeners to take from the book? And you'd be surprised at all the different kinds of responses I get, but it's always a great question because, you know, when a writer sits down to, to write, all kinds of things are going on, and I'm sure you have all kinds of missions that you're on, Nick, when you're writing that you want people to get next to, you know, when they read or listen to the book, listen to your book. So that, that was a, certainly a big question. And what did you want people to take away from the book, Nick? I honestly just want people to think a little bit more critically. We live in a very fast-paced is kind of a euphemism even, um, a very quick-moving time. And honestly, I just don't feel like people get the time we need to actually digest and process information before we're expected to respond to it. I think about, I call it Twitter culture. Something will happen in the world, and then you get 30 minutes and 140 characters to respond. And not only is that not enough time, it's also not enough space. So there's very little thought put into the way we move through the world even, you know? like, And, and I really wanted people to take a minute and just think about things. Part of the reason the book is written the way it is with, you know, there are chunks of just pure dialogue. There are news reports. There are newspaper articles. There are the letters. There's just straight up prose. Debate. Yeah, there are debate. Like all of these things exist in the book the way that they do because I wanted to present as many perspectives as possible without my own commentary kind of coming into the picture, unless it was through a character. Not to mention there are also sections that the book is written in a kind of, for lack of a better word, I'm going to say script form uh what's yeah what? yeah yeah you yeah, know, yeah where, the dialogue like the, the dialogue parts right. yeah that's exactly yeah, yeah the, that's exactly what i'm talking about there are these great yeah these great sections in class when they're debating their teacher has set up a forum for them to talk about issues of the day and talk about it from varying viewpoints and nick sets it up beautifully 
and you know, on the page, you might think, okay, well, how does that work in audio? How would you, how do you bring that to life? For instance, let me give an example. It might say Justice, and then Justice will say his line, and it'll say uh, SJ, then SJ will say her line. SJ, I'm serious. What about the economic disparities? What about the fact that, proportionally speaking, there are more people of color living in poverty than white people? Have you even thought about that? Jared, toot, Manny drives a Range Rover. Manny, what does that have to do with anything? Jared, no beef, dude. I'm just saying your folks make way more money than mine. Manny, okay, they worked really hard to get where they are, so, Jared, I'm not saying they didn't, dude. You just proved my point. Black people have the same opportunities as white people in this country if they're willing to work hard enough. Manny's parents are a perfect example. SJ, seriously? You really think one example proves things are equal? What about Justice? His mom works 60 hours a week, but she doesn't make a tenth of what your dad makes. Justice, S, chill with that, man. SJ, sorry, Just. What I'm saying is, Manny's parents are an exception. Have you not noticed there are only eight black kids in our whole school? And I thought rather than just excising all that because we're in audio, there was something to the form that made us receive the scene a little bit differently and, and left a little space for us to digest and maybe maybe just think about differently what they were saying and how the interaction was going. And again, Nick, I just want to say one of the things that was really, really great about it is she allowed the kids, I don't even want to call them, she allowed these young people to really have different points of view, maybe different than you would assume that they would have, and allow them room to grow in the in the journey of the book as well. And it's just, it's a fantastic achievement. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad you, glad you said that because that was definitely one of my goals was to have these people on the page like read like people and go through these shifts in their own thinking and in their own perception of of the world. And that's really what I wanted people to take away is, is the, the power of just taking a second to like digest and think before spitting out a response. What's interesting is most of the responses that I've gotten toward this book have been exactly along those lines. I'd never thought about this this way. I'd, I'd never really sat down and taken a minute to to consider some of the things that you said in here. So, so I'm, really? I seem to be accomplishing the mission. Stylistically, I thought it worked so well in audio, going from narrative to letters to dialogue to debate to newscasts and so on and so on. I thought it was a great way to really appreciate how those different styles work together to tell the whole when I was listening to it. Yeah, but I'll be honest with you. I think it only worked well in audio because Dion did a good job with it because I honestly can see where... Yeah, but I can see where it could have gone really, really wrong with with a with a different narrator. If you don't, know I, I mean. agree. But like with the newscast, you, I don't even think he says this is newscast, and I know I'm listening to a newscast. You know, here we go. It's the news. This is the way the news sounds. Mm. <laughs> the incident occurred just after noon at the intersection of 13th Street and Marshall Avenue. According to the wife of the shooter, who was riding in the passenger seat, there was a brief dispute over loud music before shots were fired from one vehicle into the other. Let me say one thing, uh, Joe, about this. It's funny. Nick, we've talked about this a little bit. People have different ideas about and people do approach narrating differently. I never set out with a preconceived notion of how how it should go or how I should tell the story or what the message is. And it's funny because in this one, 
I may have thought when we began that the story was going to get told a certain way, but as we went along, I just discovered that I was, I don't even know if I can quantify this, but I was telling the story. It was, so, it was surprising to me, but that was just because I was taking the ride of what you wrote, Nick. Um, cool. And that was, yeah, it was cool. It yeah. was cool. That, and that was cool for me, too. There were, there were a few moments where I did not know we were going to end up here. Exactly, um, exactly. Yeah, like, whoa, whoa, how did that happen? <laughs> exactly. And I think one thing that I found interesting when I did some reading about you, Nick, is that your dad was a cop. And I uh-huh. think there's a sensibility that really reflects in this. So we're not looking at, at devils and angels. Yeah, and hopefully that's true for every character. Like, yes, I really exactly, to, exactly. I meant yeah, that across the board. To, yeah, I wanted to really show that, like, People need space to just be people. Teenagers need space to screw up, especially in books. There's this very weird thing that we do in children's books where we want these characters to be, like, super pristine. And I think Saints there's this and idea. Sinners. Yeah, you know, it's like a, there's this idea that books with children in them need to look and feel a certain way because they're supposed to teach a lesson or something. And, and, but I, I just I don't believe that. I don't think that that's true. I think that the best way to reach young people through literature is to reflect actual young people who mess up, who do good, who do bad, who have good things that they are a part of who maybe have some things that they shouldn't be a part of. Um, and and with, with the, the police officers in the book, I so I was nervous, I will say, about writing this book because of my dad and because growing up, you know, my dad was my hero. So, like, every time I saw, up until I was, like, 26 or 27, like, up until every time I saw a cop, it was like, oh, look, somebody who can help me. Just because that's what I was the most familiar with when it comes to police officers. I spent so much time in the precinct when I was little, just kind of running around, acting, you know, like a silly person. And it's amazing to me to see my own shift just because of stuff that's happened kind of out in the world. And so when I wrote the book, I I knew that I had to hit the topic hard, but also make sure that these these officers were were coming across as, as human beings. Human beings with points of view. With points of view and 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 baggage. And and that's an important thing. Like we want things to be simple because it's easy. It's easier for us as individuals, I think, when we can blame somebody for something because it's just like we're very connected to the idea of cause and effect. But we want those causes to be very simple when we look at the effects. But it's not that easy in life. I'm glad that I had my dad. And my dad, my dad loves the book, which means oh, so great. much to me. That's yeah. He, he And he loved the audiobook, Dion. Like, oh, great. He loved it. Yeah. He, so he read it and listened to the audiobook together. Like he would read a chapter and then listen to the audiobook. You know, we had these very deep, rich conversations, largely because I was writing this book. And I'm, I'm so thankful for that. Okay. Final question. Which part of the book, as a writer and as a narrator... Did you enjoy the most? And Nick, I'm going to begin with you. Doc. <laughs> wow. I really love Doc, the the teacher in the book. He is he is fully and completely based on the actual person of Jesse Jesse Williams. The he's the guy on Grey's Anatomy. Oh wow. I've had a thing for Jesse Williams for a really long time. Like he there's just something about him as a person. And actually it was partially a part of my high school experience that the book is dedicated to my English teacher for my I had him 10th and 11th grade, Mr. Weeks, and he's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful man. But 
school structures generally don't allow for the kind of discourse that happened in Doc's classroom. And I just love, like, the care he shows for the students while also, like, leading them without leading them, the probing question-asking way of, of interacting with young people. Like, he, he, I just really love him. He, he's definitely my favorite part of the book. And what about for you, Dion? Oh, well, that's really hard. You know what? I'm going to tell you two things that jump up in response to that question. One is friendship, what that means, and particularly what that means to a young person. And it's such a strong part of the book so that the stakes of fun and the stakes of grief and all the worlds in between really ring true for us. Uh, And I just was really struck by that. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I guess tied, tied to this is I just love the authenticity that uh, Nick allowed for amongst these teenagers. And one thing that's sticking out in my mind is as Justice finds himself falling more into this uh, relationship with someone who was a friend of his, as, as I was narrating it, I discovered that they were not necessarily in a pointed conversation about being attracted to each other, but you could feel in the in the conversation that that was just part of the of the whole package and that is such a part of of adolescence oh my god is it 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 really is and i I just thought it was palpable in it so i i loved it nick i i love that you allowed for it and i i really tried to honor it i appreciate that (laughs) and there we have to leave it nick stone dion graham thank you both so much thank you so much Joe. joe we appreciate it and you too nick so do i That was author Nick Stone and actor Dion Graham. We were talking about Dear Martin. Their latest audiobook is Clean Getaway, and you can read a review for it at audiophilemagazine.com. This has been a special edition of Behind the Mic with Audiophile Magazine. I'm Joe Reed. Good listening.